0: So, so good morning all. So I'd like just to begin very briefly this morning with a, uh, an acknowledgement, which is itself an expression of murita, to Sam Scambalone. Where is Sam? Where is Sam? Uh, Sam has been with us, of course, from the beginning of the retreat, but he has pressing matters that call him to return home now for a very meaningful thing. So it's I think we're all clear, very the right decision at the right time. We'll miss you, but I wanted especially uh, just comment publicly and very much to everybody listening by podcast that Sam has been one of a crucial member of the team here that's been enabling all these podcasts to go online and the beautiful synopses of whatever I'm blabbing about. Um, but this has been benefit to many hundreds of people, and so I'm very grateful. Thank you, and I think everybody who's listening also it really it's a wonderful service. I have to say it's it's a you know, it's a major I loved doing this, uh, you know, leading the eight-week retreats. It's really my favorite service that I can offer because uh, it seems so balanced for me. I get to meditate nine hours a day and I get to be of service as well. But the fact that so many other people who are not in the room can benefit, that just gives me much more inspiration. You know, I think, oh, more benefit, more benefit. So safe, safe journeys and we'll be in touch always until enlightenment. So. I'd like to linger just a little bit on the refuge, on the devotions this morning, before we go into them, um, just to make them a little bit richer. So we have refuge. We have refuge. And he, here it says in the, in the liturgy, it says, I, together with the beings of the six realms, we take refuge uh, in the Lama. In a thoroughly or overwhelmingly Buddhist country like, like Tibet, then, when doing this type, of, this type of liturgy and there are many, many verses along that same theme, then the classic visualization is to bring to mind, for example, Buddhist Shakyamuni, or it could be Parthasambhava, it could be Tsongkhapa, uh, but bringing to mind the object of refuge, the Buddha, symbols of the Dharma, of the Sangha. And then you imagine, you imagine that you're surrounded by all sentient beings, of the six realms, and all those of, uh, are, who are female, on your left side, also on the male on your right side, and you imagine them all taking refuge. So you, so as you're reciting, you imagine these myriad sentient beings throughout, throughout space taking refuge with you. So in a Buddhist country, uh, that thing is perfectly fine. That's the way it's traditionally taught. But right now we're here in Australia, and the podcasts are going out over worldwide. And so the teachings, although these are Buddhist teachings, everybody's clear on that point, the teachings are offered in a pluralistic setting, there's just no question about that. Australia itself, very pluralistic, wonderfully so. Um, and the world, of course, at large. And so, when I was reflecting on this, or not even reflecting, just stuff coming up, you know, meditation this morning, I recalled a story I heard that uh, Mongolians circulate to this day, and it's an old story. And it goes back to the time of Kublai Khan, and I think he was, what, 13th century, I think. Kublai Khan, 13th, 14th century. And uh, he had the largest empire of anybody in recorded history, Kublai Khan, because he built on Genghis Khan, and then he had even a larger, a larger empire. And he was very, how do you say, very ecumenical. He had different types of holy men to, to who he consult, like spiritual consultants. And one upon, I believe, one upon whom he relied especially, I believe, was a great Sakya Lama, one of the great Sakya patriarchs, Pakba Pakhba Lama, I believe his name is. and. Uh, he was very drawn. I don't know. I'm not I'm not a historian at all. My wife is. She's very, very good at Mongolia. But I just have an outsider's glimpse. But what I understand is that Kublai Khan was very drawn, very drawn to Buddhism, very, just found much to be admired there. Whether he actually became full-fledged a Buddhist or not, I simply don't know, so I'll leave it at that. But he, the story goes, the Mongolians tell to this day, that he was so, he so admired Uh, the Buddha Dharma to which he had been exposed by this great Sakya Sakya patriarch, that he asked the uh, the Lama, um, I have this vast domain, what about the idea of just turning it all into a Buddhist realm? And that is basically telling everybody, you will now be Buddhist. Kings did that back then. (laughs) It was not uncommon. You conquer some place, they all follow the religion you have. So that was not an empty suggestion. How about make my entire empire, all the way to Poland, Buddhist? And uh, the Lama replied, It's a very nice thought, but it's a bad idea. Because the Buddhist view is that everybody should have the freedom to follow their own path. And so therefore, thanks, but no thanks. So, of course, when I heard that story, it made me very happy. And it simply reminds me of the the message that my own Lama, my own root Lama, his own Dalai Lama, has been saying literally for decades as he travels all over the world. And when he's in a Christian country, a country that's largely Christian, let's say, he encourages people, you know, I just really encourage you not to convert, but go deeper into your own faith. And if, I, if my presence here, my teachings can inspire you to go deeper in your faith, that's the best. And my father was a theologian he heard uh, the Dalai Lama, I'm rambling a little bit here, but it's fun, it's it's meaningful, meaningful rambling. My father was a very devout Christian and very knowledgeable theologian. He, years ago, decades ago, he saw the, um, His Holiness, in an interview, I watched him on television with a local religious person. It was, yeah, it was an interview on television, and he listened to this whole thing, the whole conversation, and my father then wrote to me afterwards, and he said, "Poor the Dalai Lama, he, he really lives what Jesus teaches. (laughs) so I think so if we really take that to heart that this is not window dressing this is not just lip service it's not being politically correct this is actually the message all along That Buddhism is not a spiritual tradition of coercion of insistence on uniformity Of of homogeneity that everybody has the same same view, that Buddhism is the best path for everyone. It's never been taught that way, not authentically and just generally. That's not the way it's taught. And in many many places, such as oh, I I can't just the list goes on and on. China, Japan, and so forth and so on. It's coexisted on the whole quite harmoniously uh, with the with the Shinto, with Taoism, Confucianism. In Southeast Asia, there was a major there's there was a large temple there where. Uh, it was just recently they had a bombing there, some terrorist. Uh, but it was a Hindu temple in Bangkok where the Buddhists regularly go to offer, you know, to make their, to show their devotions also. And so, without rambling on too much here, what I would suggest here in the 21st century, on a very positive note now, I have nothing to criticize, kind of finished yesterday, at least for a while. Um, <laughs> but today, as we're doing this, if you like to enrich this with visualization, then your own path is your own path. And I really didn't have any choice. I knew when I was home, and so that was it. It was, no, it was really no much, not much choice in the matter. This is home, and so this is where I live. And I've been living here for more than uh, 45 years now. Uh, the Buddha Dharma is my home. Uh, but as you do the visualization, you may, if you wish, imagine yourself surrounded by sentient beings, or the female on the left, male on the right, and imagine each of them bringing to mind, as you bring to mind, That which most symbolizes, embodies, personifies the highest good, the sacred, the divine, the holy embodiment of eudaimonia. You can phrase it any way you like. But imagine each one bringing that to mind, and then taking refuge. Because dharma fundamentally, to use a nice neutral term, is really fundamentally about realizing eudaimonia. It is in Islam, Christianity, Buddhism, and it doesn't have to be religion. You know, it's cropping up in psychology, you find it in Socrates, you find it in Plato, Aristotle, and so forth and so on. And that is not a new religion, it's not a universal religion, it is simply a common theme, and it's authentic and it's not new agey, it's deep. And so, for each of us here, as we're doing the liturgy together, bring to mind that embodiment, whatever most inspires you that sense of trust that sense of confidence the sense of commitment here's my path there's the embodiment of the culmination of the path the the supreme that which is truly sublime and sacred sacred and then take your, your and then you entrust yourself to that all of this of course now speaking again from the buddhist perspective this is all a display of your own pristine awareness so I never really quite critique Feuerbach, I'm going to do it really quickly. You remember the guy that said, who's your daddy, who's your daddy? I mean, I paraphrase that one, uh, you know, that it's all just a projection? Well, and then he became an atheist, communist, materialist. Hmm. He missed the point, and that yes, our images of the Divine, whether it's Buddhist Shakyamuni, Samadha Bhadra, whether it's Allah, and so forth and so on, as we conceive of them, of course, they are coming from our minds. But the Buddhist view, not just speaking Buddhist view, these are not just concoctions of the intellect. They are not just fumes coming up from the dualistic mind, the ordinary mind, the coarse mind. Right. Samantabhadra is not something somebody is made up. I like blue. You know? It is an expression, it is an expression from within, but not your dualistic mind, not your substrate consciousness. It's an expression, a personification, a symbolic manifestation, a creative display of your own pristine awareness. But your own pristine awareness doesn't, again, mean it's your own little package. It is something universal, divine, transcendent, ultimate. So, he missed it entirely. He got close, and then he missed, missed it entirely. And then gyrated off like a drunk, falling into the gutter. Really sad, because then he just fell into materialism. Where does that lead you? Face down in the gutter. So I had to criticize a bit. There it was. So there's refuge. And then when it comes to bodhicitta, then we are calling as witness. We're making a pledge here. This is quite, this has a lot of gravitas. But making a pledge here, I vow to liberate the world. That's a pretty big pledge. But once again, it's the same theme. It's not megalomania, it's not just fanciful, lovely, sh- sugary words, you know, to make us feel good. I've, I've discussed it at length, so I don't need to now. But as we do this, then we call as witness. We call as witness. The Buddhas of the three times, the Bodhisattvas, all the, the sacred beings, the sublime beings throughout space. And while well, we're calling them as witness, then we also call all sentient beings as witness. So it's kind of a big deal. We're having a large audience there. All the enlightened ones, all sentient beings, call him the witness. This is my pledge. I vow to liberate the world. So this this can be tremendously meaningful. We don't have much ritual here because I really have no, so little patience for empty ritual, and I don't like going far enough that it easily becomes empty. This is short, it's to the point, and it can be very, very rich. I think you already know that. So, that's that. And as far as the meditation, I'll, I'll just simply say right now, but it will be a guided meditation, of course. This morning we move on to maha Mudita, the great joy, the great joy, great empathetic joy, maha Mudita, where once again in line with the maha-maitri, maha, Maitri, maha Kuruna, it arises as, it arises as an aspiration, It begins with a question, flowers as an aspiration and comes to fruition as an intention. Yeah. So please find a comfortable position for the devotions, and then we will shift to the meditation thereafter, as usual. Namo Lama deshe dupe ku kunjo sumgi ranjin la datang dodu Nam janju badu Kapsuchi chi Namo. In the Lama, who is the embodiment of the Sugatas, of the nature of the Three Jewels, I, together with the beings of the six realms, take refuge and tell our enlightenment. (laughs) Semge (laughs) doa lama sangye dupne la kamdu for the sake of all beings I generate the spirit of awakening and cultivate the realization of the Lama as Buddha by means of enlightened activity I shall train each being according to their needs and I vow to liberate the world. <laughs> Ong um, oge okay, yukin upcham sam be magesa don bola yamsen choki mudub nye be Junne she suta kato kando mambu ko ki Jesu dabtu ki jingi, Lapshi lapshe sheksusul. Guru Pema Siddhi hum. hum In the northwest frontier of Odiana in the heart of a lotus sits the one renowned as Patmasambhava who achieved the wondrous supreme city and is surrounded by a host of many dakinis following in your footsteps i devote myself to practice please come forth and bestow your blessings Guru Pema City Home Guru Pema City Sustaining this flow of awareness, if you would like to switch your position or posture, please do so now. with your body, speech, and mind at rest, loose and relaxed, and yet vigilant and wide awake. Imagine viewing the world, the world of sentient beings, from the perspective of your own Buddha nature, symbolically represented as this orb of light at your heart. within this translucent body of light, insubstantial, devoid of inherent nature. And direct your attention to the world of sentient beings as you are aware of it. Take it in, attend to it closely, let it become real for you, this world of sentient beings. Each one wishing to be free of suffering, always wishing to be free from, free from suffering, each one wishing to find happiness. An enduring happiness that truly gives a sense of satisfaction and fulfillment. Each one like ourselves, everyone without exception. And then following the classic liturgy we ask the question In Tibetan first, for the oral transmission, Mendel Why couldn't all sentient beings never be parted from sublime happiness, free of suffering? called Dewa damba in Tibetan, sublime happiness, sacred happiness, genuine happiness. Why couldn't each one never be parted from this? A sense of well-being, free, utterly free of all suffering. And when we embrace the truth that every sentient being is imbued with pristine awareness, never touched, never contaminated by mental afflictions or obscurations, then the answer comes back to our question. As we attend from one sentient being to the next, to the next, there's no reason why each one couldn't be always experiencing, never be parted from the well-being that is innate to this pristine awareness, utterly free, primordially free of suffering and the causes of suffering? The answer is they could. We all could be never parted from such well-being. It's possible. Because this is truth and that which, which veils this pristine awareness is delusion which is rooted in non-reality. The truth may indeed prevail. And in Tibetan Mindelwar Kirchi, may we never be parted, may all sentient beings never be parted from such sublime well-being, devoid of misery. Arouse this immeasurable aspiration that all beings may never be separated from this birthright, their primordial birthright, of such well-being. Although each one already has this Buddha nature, or this pristine awareness, Sentient beings are not fully realizing it. They're not experiencing it. So the aspiration is, may you never be parted from the experience, the manifestation of such well-being, that is a quality of your own pristine awareness. From immeasurable empathetic joy, which now is an aspiration, to great mudita, to the great joy, which is a resolve, a promise, an intention. Mindawar dakijao. I shall make it so that all sentient beings are never parted from such sublime well being free of suffering. I shall make it so. And so far as you arouse this resolve, with credibility, with real content, there must be some type of a strategy, some plan, some idea, how are you going to go about doing that? So now each of us participating in this meditation, whether here in this room or anywhere around the world, I invite you now, What's your plan? What is the path that you will follow, in order to carry through with this result? the path, whatever the strategy, whatever your plan, it seems quite clear that plan must culminate for you in your fully awakening to your own pristine awareness, to that dimension of bliss, of well-being within yourself. For How could you possibly lead others to that if you've not realized it yourself? Final line in the liturgy, Theta chet Le So. Always the same for each of the four. May the Guru and the Deity bless me to enable me to do so. And so with this culmination of the practice, let's continue as we've done before, with each in-breath imagine. These blessings of the Guru, the Buddhas, flowing in upon you from all sides, above and below, all the Buddhas rising up to meet you, reality rising up to meet you, blessings flowing in in the form of white light from all sides, converging in upon your body, saturating your body and mind. And with every out-breath, breathe out this light from the orbit of your heart, imagine all sentient beings finding the path their own path to their own chosen manifestation personification of the sacred ideal the divine with each outbreath imagine each one finding their path each one coming along that path and reaching the culmination of that path and thereby never being separated from this authentic bliss rooted in reality, breathe in, breathe out. And then for a very short time, release all aspirations, visualizations, appearances. Utterly set your awareness at ease, effortlessly, resting in its own nature. So, before we part for the morning, let's just return to a very basic, very, very practical way of cultivating this mudita, more in a psychological dimension, because we're simultaneously existing on these multiple dimensions, right? We're still psychological, we're embodied, we have our backgrounds and so forth, and then there's a substrate beyond that, pristine awareness, but on, on a really psychological level. And again, speaking in the 21st century, where else can I speak, you know? There's a very, very broad tendency to be critical. We didn't invent that. We're not the first ones to do it. But there's a very strong tendency, a large, very kind of global habit, to be critical. We see it everywhere in the press. Uh, Now that in America we're having this, you know, this long, long ramp up to our presidential election more than a year from now. Just lots and lots of criticism. Always one side is good. I mean, invariably, one side is good and the other side is 100% bad. Amazing. How they could be both right. It's quite astonishing. So, but criticism, so we do this, and the, so it's everywhere, you don't need me to elaborate. We see this on a global level, we see it in media, we see it everywhere, we see it in religion, we see it in our own lives, that when we pe- meet people, or are familiar with people, we know very well, the tendency to find fault is very, comes very easily. Oh, and it's not only out there, but it's also in here the tendency to find fault in ourselves and focus on that, highlight that, identify with that. So, I'm telling you a bunch of stuff you already know. But there it is, there's the diagnosis. Uh, Doc Allen has just made his diagnosis, and so how do we balance that out? Because it's clearly not balanced. To have that kind of be leaning over to the point of being critical, is not balanced and so mudita is exactly designed to to restore balance. Mudita is there, you might recall, among the four immeasurables, that's the immeasurable that acts as the natural remedy, the balancing act for compassion when it's veering off into sadness, despair, and hopelessness, right? It's mudita that comes and rescues it, brings it back, but also that the tendency to be going very critical judgmental, and so forth, inwardly, outwardly, individually, and globally, that which brings it back is mudita. And so we can make it very, very practical. It's not enough just to talk about it when we actually leave the meditation hall, and people at home, and you leave wherever you are right now, and you're more actively engaging with people, society around you, to give yourself an agenda. And it's it's a practice of mindfulness. So again, once again, mindfulness is so much more than simply bear attention. Mindfulness, of course, is bearing something in mind. So try this out. It's good for you. Take my word for it. It's good for you. Bear in mind the thought, the intention. Today, I'm going to be especially attentive to, as I attend to myself and those around me, and that is human beings, animals, anybody around. Whenever I see, I'm going to keep on the lookout today for anyone who's happy. I'm going to be attending to happiness in the world. I'm going to focus on it, and when I see it, I'm going to empathize with it. I'm going to co-happy. <laughs> I'm going to go habitate with people, okay? Enjoy their happiness. It's really not that hard to do. You know, Attend to them, and you'll probably have an expression like Lena's right now. Just a kind of a, a gentle smile, you know? That's probably, that's what, that's what happens. You see somebody who's really cheerful, enjoying, truly happy, and there you are, there's there's dana. It's a gentle smile. You're not giggling, not hiccuping or anything. You're just kind of like, you know, yeah, cool. You know. So attending to others' happiness, appreciating your own good fortune, and then adding one more element to that. Because it comes up a lot, but it's so easy to miss, because we're preoccupied with other things. But those little virtues that crop up, those little acts of kindness, You may get it by the way of the media. The media is not all bad news. There are these croppings up of virtue, of kindness, of wisdom, of compassion, altruism. But of course, just wherever we are, I doubt that you'll get through the day, wherever you are, probably. Anybody listening now, I, I doubt that you'll get through the day without witnessing some virtue in the people around you, at least once and probably many times. But it's easy to kind of slide over. From a biological perspective, it's something we don't need to attend to because that's neither a threat it's not a threat, right? We fast, first of all, you know, fight or flight. I see Amy, do I need a fight or flight? Neither one. Oh, never mind Amy then. Anybody else, that I need a fight or flight, you know? No, okay, then I can, I can ignore you all because I don't have a problem with you. But is there anybody, are there any pythons out there? I heard there's a <laughs> python that was get, getting into my space. Literally, people on podcasts, a python wanted to co-interview with me. I don't think that would have worked out very well. <laughs> so there's my interview room, and a python got in there. Yeah. So, it was one of us had to go, and, you know, so they, I, I guess they broomed the python out. Easier than brooming me out. <laughs> so, so where, where, where did I come to that one? Python, maybe, maybe you'd be happy outside. <laughs> so, but that was very nice. You know, that was very nice, sweeping out the, very gently, sweeping out. It's it's probably, it might be the first time that phrase has been used, sweep out the python. (laughs) (laughs) I'm glad they did it. So, wherever you see virtue, attend to it, rejoice in it, delight in it. It really is the spice of life, and it will balance you out. Very good. Enjoy your day.